This is the next episode of the Flop House. I mean, this Flop House is the next Flop House. I, I mean, this episode is next. I mean. Yes, our, our guest host tonight, Frank Lesser, a very funny uh, comedian, writer, uh, normally a writer for the Colbert Report, uh, right now striking. How's that, how's that going? Why do you have to bring that up? Well, You're bringing me down. Well, I think that the, I, was, I think our... I was eager li- to talk. <laughs> I think our listeners deserve an explanation for how we got uh, Colbert Writer to come uh, <laughs> be on our unpaid poorly listened to yeah. podcast. And I think a strike is pretty much the only explanation they would accept. So um, I've mostly I've mostly just been watching movies. Nice stuff. Well, we had you know we had uh, our, our, my friend Elliot was on last time, uh, and he works at the Daily Show as a producer. And we were asking him what he did, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, watched RoboCop today." And so there you go. Yeah, I, I rewatched The Sixth Sense uh, two nights ago. Were you, was, uh, did the twist still work? Or? Yeah, well, I, I'm not trying to brag, but I think I'd like to. I'd like everyone to know this, that I called the uh, surprise twist before <laughs> the movie started. There are some extenuating circumstances that I don't want to take up this whole podcast. The, the first second? time I saw it in the theaters. Sure. Mm-hmm. Not the second. The second time I would have been like, and I've seen this before, but I'm pretty so, sure he's a ghost. <laughs> it's like an urban legend, dude. Like, I know this kid who didn't even see it, and he totally knew it was going to happen. <laughs> Um, but no, I wanted to see it because I had seen The Lady in the Water in a similar sort of, uh, not The Lady in the Water, I'm sorry, it's Lady in the Water, at a similar sort of, let's watch a terrible, terrible movie, and it was so bad that I kind of was like, were we all just duped into thinking The Sixth Sense was good? But the, and then I actually watched it, it is actually really amazing, the, the cat is, uh, uh, hitting some chords right now. Yeah, the cat's playing with the podcast. Yeah, the Lady in the Water, dude, so I might take Lady in the Water, the like, that's a shockingly bad movie. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Like, it's, it's so incredibly inept of a movie, yeah. like... I, I found it, I thought it was hilarious. I really, really enjoyed watching it, and I was laughing the whole time. But you have to go into it thinking that, and I honestly, it's, 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 that was what, watching The Sixth Sense the second time, I was just trying to figure out, like, how did he end up making Lady in the Water? And you can see bits of it in certain scenes, like the scene with Misha Barton. That part's the scariest part of the movie, but then when, like, Haley Joel Osment goes to her family, like, you know, goes to her funeral and is like, here, your daughter wanted you to watch this tape of the mom like that is so cheesy and terrible that's the one part of the movie that is like every other M. Night movie but we're not here to talk about M. Night but we can oh, no. M. Night your I buddy M. Night you guys are in an amateur basketball league together <laughs> I, have a, I have a friend who I was in a sketch group with in college whose family is friends with uh, M. Nights in Philly I don't want to say anything more because I don't want anyone to get in trouble for this but right. he has to sort of pretend that he likes all the recent movies <laughs> So in that way, he's like anyone on the set of Lady of Water. <laughs> well, that's a bigger problem. That like with the Sixth Sense, he clearly you know had a lot to prove, and I think a lot of he probably listened to what people were telling him about the screen, where he worked on it for a really long time. It's I think it's still a great movie. 
You know, if um, if he got like punched, uh, like in the face in front of his family, <laughs> I'd be pretty happy. Like I think he, I think he could use <laughs> that would it. take him down. I think he'd start writing good screenplays yeah. again. Now, At the beginning of that sentence, I was wondering where you were going with that <laughs> sentence. And it turned out you weren't going that far. It was, was pretty waiting. much an A to B sentence. I was waiting for the shock punched. ending. I was waiting for the yeah, shock the ending in twist. that sentence. If you got punched by 10,000 scorpions. <laughs> I was hoping that he would walk out from like your bedroom with his family back there and then you would punch him in the face. And I'd be like, I wasn't expecting that. Oh my god. I would, I, well, I, I would be shocked if, say, you punched him like Shyamalan. Mm-hmm. Like, that would be a, a twist. But less so now that I've heard you say this. Yeah, exactly. Like, if this you came know up that... on, like, celebrity gossip news. Yeah, sure. well, now the twist is that um, Stuart's going to dig up the corpse of Rod Serling and punch that. So. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> let's not talk about <laughs> twist endings, because uh, Simon's mm. not here. Let's discuss... Yeah. Um, so earlier in this week, um, sorry to derail the conversation again, um, I was talking to my good friend um, Mary, Mary Kate Olson, mm. and uh, she had just gotten done murdering Heath Ledger, and, whoa! Uh, <laughs> whoa! Whoa! Okay, fine. Ah, so early. His family could be listening to this. <laughs> they probably yes, are. Michelle Williams is a fan. Don't not not so. Seriously, as a side note, that was actually a slightly depressing news. I I don't even think I've ever seen any of his movies, but I was like, oh, that kind of that sucks. Well, you um, didn't see Brokeback Mountain? I've never seen that. Okay, that was during a period where you didn't I didn't see too a busy. Knight's Tale. <laughs> well, that was the thing. He's gay in that as well. <laughs> He unfortunately passed away just when he was starting to get interesting. That was mm-hmm. what was sad about it. Like he was really sort of hitting his stride. Now what we have to remember him by is a Knight's Tale and the Patriot. Whereas well, but, well, there could I have mean, been more Brokeback Mountains in the future. But also, I mean, the Joker. Like I was, intru- I was like looking for. You know, I was like, oh, I think he'll be. I thought he was a good choice. I, you know, I heard he got he did most of his reshoots already. So uh, they won't. That was what I meant. They won't. <laughs> yeah, you you were. Frank was basically just saying you know, he's really excited about the new Batman movie. He was he really wanted to know that the cat is just going nuts on these podcast wires. I'm gonna have to. It's really hilarious. If only you guys could see it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> let's. Uh, why are you guys talking with yourselves while I chase her out of the room? Okay, um, come here, buddy. So yeah, he was. Uh, he was also in Monsters Ball. I never saw that either. He shoots that himself I... in the chest. Oh, oh. I, I mean, I've never bit... seen that. If, uh, we need to go Chris back Wall, and tell never, people what's gonna. I haven't seen a lot of suicides that involve somebody shooting himself in the chest. Uh-huh. It was kind of weird. All right. Oh, actually, yeah, that does. That seems like the one of the worst ways to do it. Yeah, like unless like, you shoot your heart. <sighs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that's the point. But at the same time, like I would imagine, it still takes a while. Like it's not like mm. heart's gone immediately dead. You know, my it was my resolution that this episode would be edited less than. Any other episode that we've done, but I think it's going to be edited more. Yeah, probably. Well, it's all, on all, all my beginning. I think only the part talking about his character committing suicide before the autopsy results have come Right. In. You might want to edit that out. The cats. I think we were very respectful otherwise. No, no, no I, was, I was sorry to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Jokes aside. Yeah. yeah. Um, you deal with life with uh, jokes. But this isn't the Heath Ledger Memorial <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, it was, <laughs> well, just imagine how many listens you would get. I don't know if it's called views. It's called, you. it's called, I don't know. Downloads? Uh, I yeah, can't make a joke. I can't make a joke with all this grief. Yeah. So, <laughs> next. We watched a film called Next Tonight, guys. Yeah, we did. Um, and I remember starred, that. Uh, I can't, Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage, Jessica Biel. And Julianne Moore. This is Jessica Biel's second Flophouse feature, by the way. 
It's true. I has there been have there been other re- repeats? I can't uh, think. Of. I can't think. Of, we didn't what watch Ghost the, Rider. What was the other? Stealth. Oh. Another one word word title. Okay. Yeah, the movie about the uh, the artificially intelligent airplane that goes crazy. Cold stuff. I didn't know. Wait, is that the one though with Jamie Fox? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I had no idea that was the plot of it. So it's like the uh, Deep Blue Sea, but with planes. Or short circuit yeah. meets <gasps> like war games or something. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess I don't, I don't. I don't guess. I know. We just watched the movie. <laughs> yeah, of course. Next was about a guy. Who I have this see... gift where I can see into the past. Yeah, two <laughs> hours, and I remember when we sat down to begin watching it, I was like, I bet this is going to be terrible. Right, and were we confirmed? I don't know. I mean, it's a, it was an okay movie, I think. Uh, Nicolas Cage can see two minutes into the future. Yep. Um, but only when it involves him. Yeah, he can't say you're Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. I, I can't say it. He wouldn't be able to see what, what's going to go on. Two minutes at his future. Unless he's watching CNN, which is a spoiler alert, but at one point he's watching CNN to see if some big news event happens. He's being forced to watch. Yeah, but again... It's actually, I think, like a rip-off. It's like CNN. a news It's a news story that sort of involves him, because by that time his girlfriend Jessica Biel is about to explode. Mm-hmm. She's been kidnapped and strapped with... You have, I very, don't know if... you have a very strict definition of girlfriend. Yeah, dude. exactly, dude. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about that. So, Nicolas Cage can see two minutes into the future, except for he's been having these reoccurring um, premonitions of this woman that's going to come into his life. And he's been having these he's been having these premonitions, right? Who's he been sharing these premonitions with? He's been sharing these premonitions <laughs> with Peter Falk. That's strange. His buddy Peter Falk, who he apparently, I guess, lives with in sort of yeah. a, a garage somewhere. <laughs> Las and, Vegas is somewhere, by the way. Yeah. And uh, but Peter really, Falk is literally in... That one part of the like one scene, an in the interestingly film. developed character who you see change dramatically from an old man to an old man who can't walk very well. By the end of the scene, you realize he has trouble walking. Yeah, he um, also has trouble opening both of his eyes to the same amount. We we're introduced to Peter Falk. Um, uh, Nicholas Cage has been in a high speed chase, and he comes back to I guess his safe house where Peter Falk is there, and Peter Falk comes in. And he's like. You can't keep, uh, you can't keep getting into these chases. These <laughs> chases. <laughs> and you kind of wonder, okay, so I guess this is a regular occurrence <laughs> in the life of a guy who can see into the future as he's constantly getting into high-speed chases. Same to all. Fox scolds him for it. I mean, if this dude can see into the future, I think he can keep getting into those chases. I mean, I don't <laughs> That's really the see whole any, point of the... any negative repercussions. Yeah. Well, my favorite thing about the scene, though, was just that it wasn't even, like, they didn't even put it in there for any exposition, for any, like, reason of no. explaining what's going on in the plot. It was really just like, and then, I don't know, we got Peter Falk involved somehow, so <laughs> he's on we the better give him a today. scene. He can't play a French terrorist. <laughs> he's not one of the bad guys. Maybe he can be his buddy. His buddy that'll be in one scene and will play some cool with him. Yeah, it was weird. No relationship explained. Oh, I do want to say that I think that I really did like the scenes where he sees into the future, and it's not like it's a huge surprise, but then something terrible happened, and then it'll, like, zoom backwards, and you realize, oh my god, the whole time I've just been watching him watch the future, what's gonna happen? But I thought that was, I actually thought that was, like, very well done, and my big thing, I was really surprised that this wasn't as bad as I sort of was hoping it would be. And inside, I think there's a brilliant romantic comedy waiting to come out or be rewritten or have this turned into... Right, well, you were very enamored of the scene where Nicolas Cage and Jessica Biel get to know each other. Because, like, 
as I was saying, he he was he was he was having premonitions of her, and like Jessica Biel is like the the exception to his two minute rule. Anything in sure. having to do with Jessica Biel, he can see further into the future because I guess their their uh, their lives are inexorably linked in some way. And so he goes to way, his I diner. Just, I was just racking my brain a moment ago to think of some kind of lewd joke based on Jessica Biel and two minute rule, but <laughs> yeah. I fucking dropped it. Racking his mind. Mm. My mind mm. was minding her. Re- oh god, edit that See? part out. Yeah, yeah, edit yeah. that out. It's, it's tough. It's yeah. tough. Briefly, after... briefly, let's talk about uh, my theory of Jessica Biel's career because I do think she's very, very attractive, has an yeah, amazing body, but her face and her performance is not necessarily memorable, but it's always adequate. But I really do think it's that everyone in the world is just waiting for her to finally be completely naked in a movie because every mo- I've only seen two movies, and I won't even name the other one because I'm embarrassed by it. But I've only seen two movies she's in, and she always wears like skimpy clothes, and it's like, oh, she's like, oh, she's almost naked. Oh, and she's not. And not that this is even, I'm not like sitting at home, like waiting yeah, for her to I mean, get no. naked, but I think that's what everyone in Hollywood is Yeah, no, I don't for. think it's like, a, I don't think it's even like a dirty old man thing. I think it's like that they're playing the numbers game. They're like, if we put her in enough movies, <laughs> eventually she'll have to take her clothes <laughs> off. One of these and movies will have a really good director who's like really well respected, and he'll be like, no, this wasn't in the script when you saw it, but I really think it's important to your character that she's naked here. We have this really cool pillow fight. <laughs> the pillow fight is really sort of uh, revealing of her character. <laughs> shows that she's willing to have fun. Playful nature. Shows that she's got great naked boobs. Her nipples aren't gross. Etc. <laughs> that's, that's, oh that's really key to her. What if that's a character. secret? What if she's constantly always like, no, I'm totally fine doing nudity, and then she does, and the directors are like, her nipples are totally like, gross. Those shits are this. gross, dude. She's got a fucking invisible, <laughs> invisible <laughs> nipple or camo nipple. Her nipples are like. I don't know, they're like can a, we, por- can a we portal repeat? to some sort of horrible HTP Lovecraft dimension. Can we, can we repeat that, that quote, those shits are horrible? <laughs> I think that should be like the main theme of this entire episode. <laughs> the thing is, is... Right, I so, think we should move away from Jessica Biel. Well, but but no, but I, think I was setting like, you up. I was saying that the point was you were really, like, but you liked the scene when they first meet each other. Like, when he finally, he's like, okay, she's going to be in this diner. I'm going to meet her here. And uh, he used his power sort of in a in a Groundhog Day sort of <laughs> so, kind of a, actually honestly kind of like a sleazy way though he was like he's like all right I'm I can pre try out every approach to this girl and see what works and the, and but I actually thought like you know filmically to use a big <laughs> fancy word but no but I mean like in the in the film medium I thought they did a good job of the first time he approach he gets up he approaches her he tries some like line or something and she's just like yeah um you know get lost. Words to that effect. I didn't write this screenplay, okay? I can't recapture the brilliance. Sure. But, um, and she's like, get lost. And then, like, the camera sort of racks focus, and you see that he's actually still sitting where he was before, and the whole thing was him right. seeing the future if he portrayed that. I thought that was the most fascinating. I thought that was, like, a really interesting thing. And I was like, if this was just a romantic <coughs> comedy about a guy played by Nicolas Cage who's kind of schlubby and has a terrible fake haircut <laughs> I would be much more interested we should move on to his hair but I was I mean I honestly would love to write that movie <laughs> and then possibly at some point there's nudity justifying <laughs> Jessica Biel's inclusion in the movie you know the thing that I'm confused by is like Nicolas Cage is pretty ancient at this point and I'm just wondering <laughs> this guy what... he's got I you know he's got to be Early forties. I don't so think the, he's. Like, well, okay, but the thing is, like, he's, he's too old for Jessica Biel. Well, yeah. in a in a world with Julianne Moore, who, while overrated as an actress, mm-hmm. is very attractive and could easily have done the role that Jessica Biel did. 
Right. Why couldn't she have been the love interest? Arguably better, too. I mean, like, even, yeah. even if you don't like Julia, I mean, I, like, I, maybe I like Julia more, more better I, than I you I think guys, she's a little overrated, and I, maybe I should see more of her movies. At least there's a little bit of, like, tenderness, because it's like, hey, he's actually interested in a woman who's in kind of his age bracket. When it comes to Jessica Biel, it's like, well, yeah, of course he's in love with her, because he totally wants a boner, because she's hot. <laughs> like, it just, like, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I don't know. Well, I mean, the whole, the whole... Romance sort of went on fast forward. There's never any. They become, real as he put it, boyfriend and girlfriend pretty quick. <laughs> they drive somewhere. I, I wasn't paying complete attention through everything, but somehow he he's hitching a ride, just a with, ride her. with her, and then she they go to where she works, which is the Grand Canyon. Yeah, let's well, well, take a moment to talk about this because Jessica Biel's job is one of these crazy bullshit um, movie jobs, which is she's a teacher who teaches Native American children. At the bottom of the Grand Canyon. <laughs> you know, I've met girls that are into that kind of shit. I'm going to tell you every time, not that much fun to hang out with. Mm -hmm. They think their uh, think their life's really important, and uh, they don't drink very much beer. You know, but I bet I bet that they would wear a lot more turquoise jewelry than uh, this would be. <laughs> which is which is nice. Oh, she didn't have any turquoise. No, this no. was the Southwest, clearly, <laughs> not the Grand Canyon on the East Coast. Yes, in case you were wondering, this was the original Grand Canyon. But that's also an interesting issue. I think the only reason she did that was there's a scene where Nicolas Cage is talking about the I don't think they were like the Pueblo Indians, but the but the the tribe that was there, like how they could. He's also a magician, but he says you know they could for you know they could see the something about the various other things, and they could see the future, talking about his own condition. So they could talk about that, but otherwise, what she was doing had really no purpose to her character, or it wasn't like. She was like a stock market trader, or there was no real reason that she was doing that for him to for him to be fated to meet her. There's got to be a deleted scene, whether it was shot or whether it was just in the original screenplay, where Nicolas Cage does go to like meet a shaman <laughs> and and like talks to the shaman <laughs> about his ability. Possibly with like a mescaline trip or something. Yeah, played by Peter Falk, <laughs> sort of in like Native American face. Yeah, <laughs> and you'd be like, this is this is all fainted. <laughs> Native American face. I don't know. I don't know. But it's probably best that they cut that out. Yeah, like racially I mean, insensitive. I think like almost every action movie nowadays has something written into the script where the love interest just happens to like pick up the hero as a hitchhiker or just end up in a car with him and then like, hey, we're just gonna travel around forever. Yeah, that's well, that's like not people meet. Stuart, I don't know or, if you realize. That um, that's probably why that's, I'm so lonely. That's, that's how romance works. That's how my now. wife and I met. I was <laughs> just I, beating your way through the U.S. consulate. <laughs> well, I've got this crazy superpower where um, I can I can hear conversations, but only if I'm like exactly across the like the world from them, like they're exactly opposite me on the globe. Okay. And I was hitchhiking uh, through the Southwest, and I uh, was running out of water, and uh, this woman, uh, you know, her car broke down. FBI no, 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 was probably no. on, on your table, yeah. right? Well, yeah, I was being I was being hunted from both ends. The good guys <laughs> sure. and the bad guys. <laughs> sure. Just the, like in next. The, the bad guys were French guys. as like well. Inexplicably French. <laughs> French terrorists in this film, everyone. That's a common... I don't know if you've been <laughs> listening to the news lately, but that's a... Didn't they kill that Pakistani prime minister or something? <laughs> yes. That was the French. <laughs> yeah... I mean, I wasn't really paying attention to the news. I had the volume turned off, I was, pretty, I was watching I was pretty, something else. I was else. pretty sad about that, too, because I think she was, like, right on the cusp of her greatest work. <laughs> Very similar to Heath Ledger. 
He's gonna move on to somebody. No. no. I wonder what she would have done next. Uh, yeah. So Nicolas Cage has really cool hair. I think he I... bought it off of John Travolta in Swordfish or Tom Hanks in uh, The Da Vinci Code. I think it might be like a weird like symbiote, like a weird like <laughs> like parasitic. It's got its organism. own credit. It's got a, it's got its own credit. It does. Yeah. I mean, I think they were like you know they wanted to put the hair in the movie, but they really weren't quite sure if this was the appropriate feature board. And in truth, probably wasn't because mm-hmm. it really kept me from seeing this movie in the theater. I mean, I, like, I honestly think that that's why like watching the commercials in the trailer, aside from the fact that I think there was some line like, "But I can only see two minutes into the future." And like, ah, <laughs> oh, that's kind of should have explained it that much. But I think the main thing was like. <laughs> You see, like you see Nicholas Cage's. You see Nicholas Cage. You're like, I don't want to see that movie. Why don't I watch a movie where somebody can actually see the future? What a stupid uh, limitation. But it was honestly, I remember seeing the trailer of the commercial. And I was just like, Oh god, his hair looks terrible. His hair looks so bad. He should really just go for something natural. It's stupid to be that petty, but it's like so clearly fake. Yeah. Something's wrong with it. Where's that like kind of weird, of like weird, like motorcycle jacket the whole time? Well, maybe the, uh... It's almost like he's, like, that's his, like, costume, and he's an action hero, or, like, a superhero called Next. <laughs> maybe the, um, you know, maybe the, maybe the hair's because he's a magician, and I'm, I'm jumping oh, sort right. of, I'm jumping sort of forward and backward in time in the movie, just like Next, the film does. <laughs> sure. So I think that this podcast is thematically sort of linked. <laughs> but, uh, you mentioned before that he's a magician, but I think we should examine this a little bit more. It's logical. It's like I was uh, telling people off microphone that I had a very like similar idea for a thriller once that I wanted to write. <laughs> yeah. And in my like with Justin Long starring in it. Yeah, I'm Justin sorry. Long would have been the uh, would have been the lead. Sure. And like the the girl is naked the entire time. Yeah. But the thing was like I you know I thought okay you know it'll be a psychic and he will be the psychic who who can only um, who can only predict things for people he doesn't know that well. Well, because yeah. there's an issue in this movie where he says, I don't want to give, this is somewhat of a spoiler alert, but he says it earlier, but he says it earlier where, like, once you see the future, it changes everything that happens. Essentially, this, the alternate title is probably, like, Schrodinger's Next. <laughs> right. Or something like that. But, like, if you see what happens in the future, it changes what's going to happen. So, I like, it's a very Real similar science. background. So, like, my, my idea is, like, okay, well, uh, what could a psychic with these limitations do? All right. He's, like, a fucking, like, phone psychic, because he can be a psychic for people he doesn't know, and that's the way he uses, like... And, and it's kind of like, it's not that clever, but it's sort of like, oh, okay, he's using his talent, but in a really cheesy way. And this film did the same thing, where it's like, oh, well, he's a magician. He's a magician, but the, the, the twist is he can actually do magic in a way, like, you can see the future. But you see his magic act at the beginning of the movie, and he's doing, like, sleight of hand. Like, he's, like, like doves are coming out of his hands, and he's, and later on he, like, does things where, you know, like, flames come out of his hands, or he drops coins everywhere and you think to yourself why like if he has this power to see the future why is his magic act well maybe like he looked in the future and he saw that like flame was going to shoot out of his hand <laughs> it's not, and it's actually real magic he has no control yeah, like, so like, I oh, better shit. make I better make the best of this I better make a hand motion or else I might I, I don't see it as as big of a plot hole because I think there is a part where he was he seemed to imply it's again I wasn't paying that much attention throughout the entire thing sure but there was a part where I think he's talking about he was studied before and he doesn't want to go back where they 36 hour marathon session of having to guess what card is going to come up next dude that so is I almost a see, quote dude. I know I remembered that line it really <laughs> stuck with me I related I don't, I don't want to give anything away but like I, I know things I know some things 
But no, but I think like that would be like a diversion, essentially, which I believe is a magic term. But I mean, I think it would. Be, I think it makes it seem less like he can see the future if he's also like. And now I turned a paper rose into a real rose oh, girl I, I just this. met and will sleep with. I like that In idea. Two minutes. I like that idea. He, he, to to bring Peter Falk back into the conversation, he's like Columbo. Like, right. he's sort of pretending to be kind of a, like, a chintzy guy so we to hide cover you. up his own, his, like, real talent. Like, he's a cheesy magician. But I think a good question that I'd like to get to would, would be, like, well, the other big thing is, so the federal agents are after him because these terrorists have a nuclear bomb hidden somewhere in Los Angeles, which is kind of a, a side plot. That's not really, <laughs> that sort of comes into play, Doesn't but really it's more about him it. and the girl. But, but you know, and, and he doesn't want to help him because he can only see what's going on in his own life, but it does feel like a little... Silly, you're not selfish, but like, it, it, you know, I don't know. I feel like if you had this gift, you would not just be a magician in Las Vegas. We sort of discussed this. Yeah, it will not be such a dick about the, like, oh, oh, okay, there's a nuclear bomb that's going to blow up in Los mm. Angeles. I'm sorry, I really can't do it. Can't be bothered. I got to try and hit it again. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's only when he sees that the girl that he loves could be in danger that then, like, yeah, ultimately it, he's like, okay, I'll help you it guys. It sort of makes him a bit of an unsympathetic protagonist. Yeah. Except, except Nicolas Cage's charm <laughs> yeah. carried him. It's gotten him so much in this life. Well, let's talk about one problem that I had, and I feel like an idiot, honestly, like bringing up real logical objections to the movie. However, later in the film, late in the movie, he basically we basically see visually represented him... His body splitting off into several possible different futures. I love. I also really like that scene. It like you know it was very M C Escher. It was a cool <laughs> idea. Or that scene from Labyrinth. <laughs> it, was, it was visually. <laughs> it was because there were catwalks and platforms. <laughs> yeah, no, he was like, all right, I gotta find Jessica Biel. I'm gonna basically like imagine every possible future in which I explore the entire uh, base to see where she is. And he's avoiding bombs and all kinds of shit. But this, I mean, this brought up a question that I had earlier in the movie, which is, is he constantly aware of every possible thing that might happen to him in his life? And if so, isn't his brain overloaded by that? Like, like how can one... He, like, that's like the brain of God, to know, like, every possibility that might happen. I think he was, it seemed like he was sort of making conscious decisions at that point to say, like, here I'm going to go right and left. And then this, I mean, yeah, it seemed very... But he was focused. Right. I could. I was sort of able to, to 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 believe that for some reason. Well, also he seems very like physically like talented. Like if 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 say a giant log is coming at him, which happened uh, at a least once times, yeah. during the film, um, he is able to, you know, with lightning click reflexes, go exactly where he needs to go dodge to bullets. to to dodge it. And I don't know that just because you can see the future, you have that ability. Oh yeah, Dan, tear this movie apart. It just wasn't realistic enough. <laughs> yeah, because look, I can look, accept look. him seeing the future. Okay, guys, <laughs> look, I totally have his same ability. I know that in a minute a guy's gonna walk into this room and shoot me. That doesn't mean I know how to not get shot. <laughs> I'm like, oh, maybe if I move to the left. Nope, if I move to the right, he's still going to shoot me. Well, there was the scene where a guy is firing bullets at him, and he's splitting. You're seeing like the various different versions of him that are getting shot, but like he knows which one exactly where to sort of walk, but then. Uh, yeah, there were certain little issues with it, which is why I think it works better as a romantic comedy. Where you just focus on... I would accept it if, say, in like, Stuart's uh, scenario that he, he he's painted for us. Mm -hmm. Stu Stuart's like... Do you shoot anyone else after he shoots you, or am I okay? Uh, I, I forgot to tell you, I don't actually have this power. <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> 
Well, you'll have to keep listening to the podcast to know whether you shot in a minute. But but say this guy comes in in a minute and, and shoots you. Okay. Like, I would believe it if you're like, oh, okay, this guy's going to come in in a minute and shoot me. I'm going to leave the house. <laughs> you know, like, that was your solution to it. Well, Rather once he comes gonna, in like, and fires a bullet, dodge. yeah. I'm going to dodge around, like, kick him in the head four times while he's trying to punch you're me. do some Matrix shit. <laughs> yeah. Matrix shit, I think, is the technical term. <laughs> now, uh, I, I just want to bring this up, because this is the part that, this is something that I loved about the whole movie. This is probably my favorite part about the whole movie. And it's not his hair, and it's not like Jessica Biel's body or anything. It's actually... Are you the, saying those are trait concerns? Those are no, those are, I'm going to say those are secondary things. I wouldn't say trait, because right, they right. are important. Surface. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, it's the thing, it's, it's, I just really like it when a movie accurately represents um, the United States government, like the FBI and the police, as being incredibly efficient at performing their job, specific, uh, specifically in the collection of evidence and busting criminals. Because in this film, just like in, say, like Lethal Weapon Part 2, uh, the, the good guys efficiently kill every single possible <laughs> bad guy. Even, when, they even, when, they, even when they're unarmed. But I would say even when they could possibly give you information that would lead to, I don't know, say the nuclear bomb hidden yeah. somewhere in Los Angeles that you're looking for, instead of capturing them... They just like fly down in a helicopter and like shoot them twenty so, times. So at the end, of the, at the end of the movie, when they have that like big crazy fake ex- like explosion, Nicholas Cage is like, "I made a mistake," and they're like, <laughs> "You made a mistake? That's impossible." He's like, "No, I made a mistake." Like that <laughs> moment, <laughs> that moment, eccentric voice. He says like that. The thing is, like, shouldn't he be saying, "Yeah, you made a mistake for shooting the lead fucking terrorist a second ago <laughs> who had no weapons or even a fucking cell phone." And just told it like, been like, hey dude, I'm going to shoot you unless you tell me where the bomb is. Or maybe he saw yeah. in the future the re- the possibility that if they did that, he would like, kill them. I don't know. Yeah, let's they pl- didn't actually let's explain let's... how he made the mistake at all. Like what that really meant. Unless he was so yeah. distracted by the girl that that was the mi- Oh, that was the mistake. I don't want to give it away. That was the mistake. Away, he was but... distracted by the Let's spoil the ending and say that, you know, we go through this big action movie ending. And then everyone blows up. Because he made a mistake, and he, the bomb was somewhere else. He got too else. distracted by the by Jessica Biel, and uh, then we zoom backwards in time, and we realize that the last half an hour to forty minutes, five minutes, I think, of the film has been a flash forward uh, as Nicholas Cage lies in bed, and uh, next to Jessica Biel, because he can see farther into the future when it involves her. Right now, can I can I just point out the weirdness of the fact that the movie that we watch immediately after I Know Who Killed Me. Features not only a scene that's weirdly reminiscent of uh, an incident in Owl Creek Bridge, which you mentioned in the last podcast, right. yeah. but also has that weird bullshit type thing where it's like, just like in that movie where you kind of feel like, oh, so the whole thing was just a story you wrote. I haven't seen that. Oh, uh, it's okay. This thing, it's like, yeah, the whole, uh, the last 45 minutes could have happened. Who knows? <laughs> right. And we don't see what actually did happen because, like, the movie ends with uh, Nicolas Cage and, and Julianne Moore setting out to uh, one assumes do it right this time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they repeat him saying, "See the thing about the." I think it literally starts with like, "See the other thing I didn't tell you about the future is that when you look at it, he repeats it from earlier that uh, it changes." I yeah. fucking hate monologues at the very end of a movie. I, I didn't mind it. it. There like were some I... parts earlier that I didn't mind, but like, yeah, at the end, I'm like at the like, very end when they're like. So, here's the things you should take away from watching this movie. 
This movie is really good, and uh, <laughs> having the ability to be next is awesome because you can dodge bullets. The end. Peace. Yeah. There's one more thing about the end that I really want to bring up. That's literally the the whole end of the movie is them going through like these warehouses, and Nicolas Cage is telling people where to shoot. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, like and like, oh, there's gonna be a sniper over here, and shoot over here, and oh, look out, you're gonna get shot, shoot over here, and. It just weird, like it's just a very strange way to end a movie because it's like, well, there's no suspense about what's gonna happen because Nicolas Cage knows how to fix everything. Well, except for the point where he was then like, okay, now at this scene, you guys go over there and I'll go over here for no reason. Let's <laughs> because like, nothing happened. Like, All of a sudden, and yeah, none of the agents were like, that's. I think that's a bad idea. That's fucking retarded, dude. Because <laughs> you keep me from shooting me and I don't want to die. I'm gonna stick with you. <laughs> I'm going to stick with next over here. <laughs> I still felt like there was some stuff that could maybe go wrong. I thought that was the the nice thing at the end when he's confronting the lead terrorist. He's like, you have only one choice that's good. That wasn't it. <laughs> and then, of course, he gets shot eight times by Julianne Moore. Yeah. But, I mean, the thing is, like, and the problem with it is anytime there's suspense, like, the only possible way you can really have suspense is when the hero's in danger. So anytime anything possibly bad would happen to Nicolas Cage, you're like... Oh, that's just like the future he was watching. In a second, he's gonna like stand there, and his head's gonna wobble, and then he's gonna walk back into the scene or something. Like, well, that was the other thing that Dan you mentioned that as it got, I think I think you were saying it as it got closer to the end. Like I think maybe like the futures he envisioned were like even more horrific, but he would like visceral, like he would like his head would like you know shoot backwards when he would see the scene. It was like it's like like a ghost flies through his head in a Ghostbusters movie. Like all of a sudden he's like whoa, and his hair stands up on end. Well, we could talk about it all night, but we should we should wrap up this part of the thing with the uh, the final judgments. And Frank, I don't, I, I uh, I'm this film's biggest apologist. I will yeah, I, this. I don't think you've actually heard this podcast before, so I will explain <laughs> the rules to you and to the listening audience. Anyone who might be I new, I should probably hear again too. The three official Flophouse categories are: Is this a movie that you did not like at all? A movie that you would maybe recommend to people as a, a good bad film, something that might be fun to watch for some laughs, or a movie that you actually kind of liked. Since you're the guest, I'll go. I'll, I think I know where you're going to go. Yeah, I know. I'm so, I'm a little embarrassed to say it, and I you know I haven't. I think I'd need to think about it a little bit more. And I don't think it was a great <laughs> movie or even a particularly good movie. But I didn't dislike it, and I think there was a very good movie hidden within there, which, again, I would say is a romantic comedy <laughs> along the lines of Fifty First Dates, or sort of like Groundhog's Day. They might have ripped it off from that a little more than sure. the Phil, whatever Philip K. Dick-inspired novel or movie, as you were saying. Sure. Uh, you know, the, the screenwriter watched before writing this. <laughs> but, I, but I actually, I was, and maybe it was also the super low expectations that I went into it. It was no remake of The Wicker Man. It was no... Uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, I was I was generally uh, not necessarily pleased. I don't think I needed to see it. I don't know that I would tell anybody to go see it, but I, I didn't mind it. No jokes. Yeah. Completely, that's my earnest. So where's it all. going? Wait, which, which one was that? Was that one, two, or three? I think that was number three. three. Yes. Okay, wow. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say that I think this was a good, bad movie. Yeah? If anything, because I think it's totally worth watching to see all the weird, like, shit where he's like, Oh, I died. No, I didn't. <laughs> Rewind. But see, I liked that. No, that's what I liked about Like, I want people to see that. And, like, the fact that the whole last half hour of the movie didn't actually happen and wasn't that suspenseful, totally worth watching. <laughs> I'm going to go with Frank just because, like, 
I wouldn't say it was a good bad movie because it's not it's not the sort of movie where I like really laughed at what was wrong with it. It's more like I just sort of indulged what was wrong with it. Yeah, like yeah. I'll say the same thing that I basically said about Mr. Brooks, which is you know like if you've had like like a rough day or you've had a drink or two or you're really tired, you don't want to like <laughs> you don't really like care what you're watching, but you want to watch something that's kind of fun and like next comes on TV. Yep. Yeah, you sit there and watch Next, you know? I would say if you want to write a high-concept romantic comedy, you should watch Next and rip off the good parts of it. Frank is advocating that you, you use Next <laughs> as, like, a junkyard for spare parts. So who are, who are, who are going to be the stars in your movie? I think Justin Long. I think we Justin established Long, sure, that. yeah. He's got some talent. Jessica Biel, but she would play the uh, Julianne Moore character. Okay, so she's the FBI agent in this movie. And, uh, but naked. The FBI in this movie sure. is entirely nude. Sure. I think that would ruin the entire part appeal, of the, though. Part of the FBI beach patrol. <laughs> but the appeal of her... I, again, I've only seen her in this, and I'm embarrassed to say I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry, which I watched with some other sure. people trying to watch a bad movie, and then we ended up not necessarily enjoying it. I don't want to get into this right now. But I think her whole thing is that she wears like stuff that's on the verge of like being completely naked, and you're like, wow, she... I mean, the girls watching it at the other thing were like, that's not fair that her body is that good. Right. Direct quote from a girl, from a real lady. Yeah, that sounds a right. real lady. Yeah. Gotcha. So you, so you, you have you like said, a handkerchief and <laughs> you have, but you haven't pictured <laughs> lead. Who's your, who's your romantic lead to go opposite Justin Long? That powerhouse. Of, I probably wouldn't yeah. actually pick Justin Long. I would. Uh, I don't know who'd be in it. I, I would. I think it would be the. I think it would be yeah, yeah. Shia LaBeouf. Maybe maybe Jack Black. He can bring a little bit of his like. Uh-huh. His little bullshit too. Well, I think that would be the same sort of issue with this, which is that just at no point are you like, oh yeah, um, Nicolas Cage would be realistic as somebody that who would approach Jessica Biel, and this whole thing would happen. That was the bigger thing. I think it's more likely that, that someone can see the future two minutes ahead of time than that this sort of romance thing would have played out how it did. That wasn't believable. Yeah, for me, it's true. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's being shallow. I mean, I guess I guess in the world of probabilities, you're right. It is more probable that somebody <laughs> can literally see into the future than Nicolas Cage's character would be able to reach that point in his relationship with Jessica yeah. Biel in two days. Unless the premise was also that he was like, "By the way, I'm Nicolas Cage, and you're not Jessica Biel." Well, I, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, teachers who teach Native American children in the Grand Canyon are, are total sluts. <laughs> they are... They're just aching for a snake <laughs> They're aching for um, Nicolas Cage to come along. Sure. <laughs> Show them Maybe she was just a really big Nicolas Cage fan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, you she, look so much like she Nicolas grew, Cage. She grew up watching his movies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Let's, well, let's, it's good to laugh. <laughs> yeah, it, it is good to laugh. What's... <laughs> Put next behind us and uh, move on to the next segment, which uh, <laughs> the next segment, which is um, to uh, talk about things that we saw recently that we actually enjoyed, like a movie, like uh, give a, give a recommendation because we like to we like to give, we don't like to just take. And uh, so I will explain again, Frank. This is uh, where we usually recommend something. Maybe a little underrated or overlooked that we watched recently that we enjoyed and just say something about it. Stuart, is there anything that you want to bring up? Uh, it's not necessarily uh, underrated, but uh, if you get a chance, you should go see it. Uh, I just got I got to see Teeth, the movie about the uh, the girl with... Uh, the Vagina Dentata? Yeah, Vagina Dentata. And um, yeah, there's a lot of uh, bitten off penises in the movie. Wow. 
If so, if you want to see a bunch of bitten off penises, see if you combine that with my romantic <laughs> comedy movie based on the idea of next, but the girl has a vagina dentata. Yep. I think I would see that. Fucking movie. cinema gold right there, yeah, baby. Yeah. That goes beyond my concept. I heard I heard good things about that. I think, but then bad things from someone else. But all uh, women entirely. Sure. Yeah. Well, not that that matters. You know, because <laughs> the thing is that women they have a lot of mixed up ideas about vaginas. So I would I, hey, I would take they, what they say with a grain of salt. They need a mirror to look at them. <laughs> I'm down they, with the ladies. I don't, even, I don't even know what that means. I mean, it's not like a no man. I know what it means, I've, but, uh, but I've heard. No, yeah. it's a it's a good one, dude. I like that joke. <laughs> uh, so uh, that was me, Brian. Yeah. Um, something obs- uh, I don't know anything underrated. I did recently. Um, let me say something pretentious. Uh, at, the fi- at Film Forum, they were showing City Lights, which is the 1931 Charlie Chaplin movie. That is really funny. I'd only seen little bits of Chaplin, some of his shorts, and I saw, I think, Modern Times, and I wasn't that into it. I think it was a long time ago. But City Lights, I actually was... It's fairly touching, and it's also really very funny. I was very surprised by that, as far as comedies. And I did like No Country for Old Men, but that's not really underrated. No. Um, Eight Oscar <laughs> Well, I didn't say that and there will be blood. Right. Okay. Um, 16 between. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I, uh, anything obscure recently that I saw? I actually really like Sweeney Todd. It's not obscure, but it didn't do incredibly well. Got really good reviews, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, again, a classic, but um, not, like a, like, not like a Citizen Kane-style classic. I saw, I watched uh, recently... Onibaba, or Onibaba, a Japanese movie about, uh, uh, I can't even explain it. I won't even try. Let's, let's put that one away and say, uh... Spell it for people. So O-N-I-B-A-B-A. And, uh, if you want to see a movie that's sort of like a Japanese horror movie from the late 50s, early 60s, but more like a weird psychodrama, uh, that's a good movie to watch. But, um... Uh, a movie that's more accessible. I don't know. Again, I guess we're not really going through like the obscure stuff this week. This week is more uh, mainstream. But I'm surprised. Uh, speaking of Shia LaBeouf, uh, my wife and I watched Disturbia recently, and I was really sort of struck by how pretty good that movie is. Dude, I recommended that a couple podcasts ago. Remember? You did? I did, yeah. That was pretty good. It's a pretty Dan solid uh, little thriller. No, I don't listen well anything that Stuart says. <laughs> no, it did, it did really well. I actually, he was, uh, when he hosted SNL, I saw parts of that, and I was actually very impressed. There was a the very funny scene later in the, uh, later, uh, funny sketch later in the uh, show between him and Maya Rudolph that was, like, just really weird and one of, like, the really good ones that I think slipped in somehow, or that, that have been more, you know, they've been doing more of those that I highly recommend where, like, I'm not going to try to describe it. It's not going to be as funny. So, like, look it. for look look, at, look for it on on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't YouTube, know. It's, it's, it seems like the type that's too obscure. It's like a lot of Will Forte sketches on SNL that are really funny, but for some reason they don't hit the demographic that posts SNL right. clips to YouTube. But um, no, I expect uh, great things from Shia LaBeouf. Maybe he'll battle some more Transformers soon. I would uh, in my romantic comedy version of Next. Shia LaBeouf, starring Shia LaBeouf. And we, you still haven't picked an actress, dude. Uh, oh, how about uh, how about Ellen Page from Juno? Oh, which she's uh, delightful. I watched Hard Candy the other day. 
How is that? Kind of boring. Yeah. She, she's really good in Juno, and the actors were generally good. Some of them weren't good. I think it was great casting. I despise Jason Reitman. Don't really? necessarily despise. I didn't like Thank You for Smoking. I didn't like Thank You for Smoking I either. I did not like Juno at all. It's a real really? movie for about 30 minutes near like the last... About two-thirds of the way in, it becomes a real movie until the Thundercats line. And then it's despicable. I thought it was so... Sorry, I'm going to like take over this fucking no, podcast. I'm going to start cursing weird, like, I, 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 I mean, like, I didn't really like the first 20 to 30 minutes, but then I really liked it thereafter. And you. I think... I'll kill you. But I think that... It, I know, but I agree with you in so much as I think that it's mainly because it's got a great cast. Yeah. They're all fantastic. And Ellen Page is fantastic, and Hard Candy... Is kind of a sleazy movie, but <laughs> she is she is great in it. Well, this one too. I she's think... pretty great in it. I think she's way better early on when you're like when she's playing like a young kid, and less as she like plays like super smart sassy. I'm gonna torture this dude because like I don't think it's necessarily good acting for a young person to pretend like they're an old person. That's like well, the M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> school of life. Like, but that's the this script. kid talks like people. <laughs> that's totally the script, though. Well, that's no, like I agree. No, that's not necessarily... Because the thing but at the like, same time, like, I'm not going to be like... Oh, whole, what no, the? side note, I was just going to... No, this is completely unrelated, but just moving back to M. Night, but I'm going to tie it into Juno, is that I think M. Night... Actually, Sixth Sense, the acting is really good. Bruce Willis is really good in it, and it's semi-realistic. I think he eventually became... his The, the, the performances that he tries to get out of people become so mannered that it's like all of the same intonation. It's basically when you watch him acting, you realize that that's the performance. He wants them all to act like him, essentially, because he's in all of the movies, and it's this very sort of earnest, mm -hmm. oh, there are aliens, but they're scared of water. I'm going to the lake. That's like the performance. That, that's a terrible job. I'm going to work on no, my M. Night impression. Okay. I'm going to work on my M. Night impression. But um, he basically does the dramatic version of all of Wes Anderson's comedic movies. All of like the performances are the same. If you swapped out any of the... Not necessarily the character's who they are, but like their intonation and the way that the performances that are drawn out of them would work perfectly. I'm surprised he hasn't had Bill Murray in some terrible dramatic movie. <laughs> and then what I didn't like about Juno was that it was just like a complete ripoff of the whole Wes Anderson style of like indie pretentious movies. Not pretentious, that's the wrong word, but you get the idea. The same sense of my hatred. <laughs> I thought of, I don't know, I thought it was heartfelt at the end. Oh, when they were singing the song? No, not that part. With the... I don't want to ruin it for the uh, podcast. I guess you're listeners. really pro life, Dan McCoy. Yeah, that's that it. Was an that's, that's we're it. gonna title this podcast Juno or Next. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Can we all just agree that um, while X Men Three was not very good, Ellen Page was really good as Kitty Pryde? <laughs> Can we agree on that? Uh, yes. I don't remember her specifically from that movie. I also, that movie I didn't like, but I didn't think it was as bad as I was expecting Dude, chill it out. to be. <laughs> it was kind of shitty. Let's move on. There's really shitty CGI in that movie. It was like, they're like, wait a minute. Uh, we need to release this movie tomorrow. Did did you remember doing the CGI? It's like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. I thought, I thought it was uh, April. Give me a second. Give me a second. It was like the joke you made before. Like when uh, Jean Grey, you know, like burns people up. She's like, you're like... Holy shit, she just turned that person into a bunch of pixels. <laughs> yep, like, holy fuck, he died in Tron. <laughs> oh, man. Well, it, there's a degree.
degree to which I think you can blame a movie for bad CGI, which is that the fact that it's 2008, <laughs> and we have technology that produces great CGI, and when there's a movie like, you haven't seen I Am Legend, but when you watch I Am Legend, which had a budget so big that I don't even think the studio has released it to this date, to, you know, right now, I don't think you can, I'm sure you can find it at this point, but as of like the opening week, they didn't want to tell anybody how much it cost. When you see a movie that's that expensive, even if they had to redo all the CGI because the director supposedly wasn't happy with the prosthetic humans, it's embarrassing. It's just like, you're just like, what? How is this possible? How can you make a movie that it has such shitty CGI and such bad effects? Wait, they, you're saying that they, were, they actually were, they, they started it out with prosthetic They apparently humans, shot a lot of stuff with people, it? and like the director was like, I don't think, because they're actors without shoes, and he's like, they just don't have the same sort of like... You know, not caring about not wearing shoes that these sort of plague infected zombies would have. Because it would have been so much creepier if it was real people. What makes me uh, so much more angry is if you read the fucking book, you're like, oh shit, (laughs) under what circumstances do you even need cock sucking fucking prosthetics at all? It's just so fucking weird. They're, well, I mean, and, I mean, well, I guess in order to battle Will Smith, you need to give him. They're aesthetics. vampires. They're vampires in the book. Yeah, they're not like weird, like bald. Um, they're not fucking morlocks. Well, they're, like, <laughs> they're like the mummy. That is what I hated. That the main guy also, you're like, and one guy can unhinge his jaw. <laughs> I had issues with that. Again, I realized. This well, is I also, advanced. I mean, like, I guess that this is like a screenwriter thing where, like, they're like, okay, we need one bad guy that you can focus on. We need one guy. It's who's like net face and. AVP. But it makes me so angry because it's just like, the scary thing is that there's these hordes of people. There's not like one leader of the uh, I Am Legend diseased people. Like, oh, he's he's like the Spartacus of the I Am Legend, you know, yeah. assault. So they called him an alpha male. He's like, he's like, he's like Stripe in Gremlins. No, but don't, see, I would have preferred, preferred, preferred if he had a mohawk. <laughs> that somehow they were still trimming the three years after the plague. That would give me them. some reason to believe why they're following him. Like, <laughs> oh, this guy's got a fucking awesome mohawk. Everyone else. That's the other thing. On. Wait a minute. Didn't they? None of the dude should have had long hair. Are they giving themselves haircuts? Minor plot hole. I don't know. <laughs> That's not my main issue with I Am Legend. But like, you'd be like, wait, they've been alive for three years, and like the chick's totally bald. Maybe part of the plague makes their hair yeah. fall out, dude. They can't, oh, were they all bald? I just, I, I wasn't, I never saw it. Okay. I haven't seen it. Um, yeah. I'm sorry I ruined it. Well, I don't want to spoil anything for you, uh, Stuart, but um, Will Smith is legend. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so I'm I'm put off now. That joke, that joke, actually angered Stuart. Yeah, also that was. Uh, that oh actually the mist was a movie that watching it I kept being like God would I enjoy this more if I was watching this thinking it was a terrible movie if I went into this expecting to dislike you know, it like frankly I thought it was Frank Frank I thought it was um I thought it was actually okay like I thought it, I didn't like I didn't dislike it I mean I have so much affection for the story and it was actually like pretty close to it however the fucking CGI was like are you kidding me dude? Yeah, yeah I played video games well, with CGI I'll tell you I well, like, the first time the tentacle. Yeah, I was like, okay, I don't well, think I terrible, need to see the rest of this movie. I'll tell you why. It was terrible. The one thing I liked was there was no music. It was like this weird moment mm. of like, what the fuck is going on? These dudes are just like wrestling around on the tentacle with no sound effects or music. I, I thought that seemed almost too intentional. It, it, that seems to be a big thing now in movies, aside from movies being exceptionally violent and horrible. Is that a lot of, I think, I didn't think it was done that well in The Mist. Uh, I Am Legend also has a lot of moments where you'd be like, wow, typically, I think it's directors who are like, so, you know, have something in their head where they're like, oh, no, no, it would be the obvious thing to have a good score that would actually, you know, use music to help 
move. Uh, I I can't think of words right now. I have to pee so badly. <laughs> I'm just focusing on that. But that you know, but that like the music that would actually add to the to the emotion or the the mood that we're trying to evoke in this scene. But they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that. That would be what other directors would do. It was done well in No Country for Old Men, which didn't have that much music. Right. Another, uh, just jumping back to Juno, the soundtrack was just so obviously put in, like, well, what else should we put on this CD that we're going to sell when we sell this soundtrack? Let's have her drive and we'll put a song that has nothing to do with, oh my god, I don't want to talk about it. Burn, that. burn I, on Juno. I just want to bring it back to this for a second. And I'll tell you that I liked it for, for like two big reasons. One, it wasn't based on a Japanese horror movie. <laughs> and two... It wasn't like a PG-13 when a stranger calls horror film. Mm -hmm. Like, it was a good old-fashioned, a monster film, you know? I thought there was a little too much, uh, what's-her-face? Oh, the Um, crazy Christian. Crazy lady, what's her, Miller's Crossing, I can't remember, March Gay Harden. And I found the ending a little disturbingly nihilistic, but... And unnecessary. I liked it. I thought Mm. it was pretty good. I, I thought the little kid in that was also great. I thought he did a great job of crying a lot and having snot come out of his nose, which is difficult. Well, well now we're just having a conversation. All I do is when kids get This is, this is no longer, like, I think that's at the end of the day why I'd probably give it a positive review. <laughs> there's not enough movies. Spoiler where, alert, spoiler. There's probably not enough movies where kids get killed. And they, these are people oh. who are like, I want to find out about next, but I haven't seen the next. <laughs> Holy shit, those dickheads spoiled it for me. Yeah. I don't think it could really be spoiled. That's my argument for, like, it's really not a good movie, in my, okay. in my opinion. I don't know. Maybe I was watching Frank Lesser loves Next. Didn't like the Next. <laughs> I'm fine going on record saying that. I'm fine saying that I was so angry at the end of Juno. I saw it with a friend, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to ruin it for her. Uh, wait till we get out of the theater. But like the credits were still playing. She was like, ah. I think she said something about the music. She was like, I really like the moldy peaches. And I was like, yeah, you know what I don't like? And I just launched into like 20 different things <laughs> that I was storing up for the entire last half of the movie. I have a soft spot Gosh because uh, we had uh, Kimya Dawson on uh, Sarah Shaver's Obsessed With You Once and she was like a really good guest. So uh, Yeah, oh, I don't have anything with the music itself necessarily. I just thought the way it was used in the, in the movie was incredibly pandering. You're all dupes. <laughs> Do you hear me out there? If on you're that listening note, to this. anyone who liked <laughs> Juno... In the words of Frank Lesser, you're a dupe. That's not true. I don't think that necessarily. I'm probably friends with you, in fact. <laughs> There's a very good chance that this is uh, probably a not. I mean, if they're listening to this I podcast, have. I don't think, unless you tell them about it. This <laughs> podcast has run the whole gamut. Sad. Really <laughs> happy emotion. about what happened in Next. Really mad about Juno. Was there more stuff about Next at all? No, no. That, <laughs> Anything about Nicolas Cage? Because there was the interesting stuff. I, I'll let you wrap it up. But, like, the interesting stuff, I still think he makes sort of interesting career choices. They're not, like, the most obvious, best things. They don't happen to usually be good movies. But I can understand why he'd do them. He brought up the Wind Talkers. Yeah, sure. Movie that I, I haven't seen. But it's abysmal, dude. Yeah, yeah. But, but John Woo, and it probably sounded like a good movie. This <laughs> I don't understand. Like, John Woo is one of these uh, directors who gets, like, I guess a free pass on the basis of a couple movies he made early in his career, but, but you know, I hear John Woo at this point, and I'm like, yeah, all right, he made... Uh, Face Off. I like Face Off, but he also well, made... Well, that's why he gets a fucking free pass, But he pass, also made, dude. like, Broken Arrow and Mission Impossible <laughs> 2 this was and very, Wind Talkers. It was very much like Broken Arrow, and maybe just the way it was, like, shot or some of, like, the... The cinematography in it. Something about it reminded... I think they're also looking for a nuclear bomb. But I was going to say, it's more, it reminded me a lot of fucking Paycheck. 
but not quite as like anger inducing, you know, because Ben Affleck's in it. Yeah, this was better than Paycheck. <laughs> Again, I would say that you take this better movie, than Paycheck. <laughs> take this movie, take out the nuclear d- plot device, and make it a romantic comedy. You have a great movie, and then you take whatever shitty romantic comedy is there, add the nuclear bomb, <laughs> and you have a great movie. I think those are the things that people don't realize. You take like. What I guess that's Jessica Alba. What, what, I didn't see a Dane Cook movie, but any romantic movie, Fifty First Dates, and she keeps forgetting where the nuclear bomb is. Sure, that's she planted a, one. All right, that's a good movie. Um, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Put a nuclear bomb. In. <laughs> and the yeah. firefighters are called to uh, to put out the put fire out the nuclear from bomb. the nuclear right. bomb. Well, I think that if anything, uh, if the audience for this podcast takes anything away from tonight. They should take away that if they go to the video store intending to rent Paycheck, which I think happens a lot. People are like, I really want to see Paycheck. You know, put that DVD box down, pick up the box for next. <laughs> I say the same thing about Broken Arrow. If you're in the mood for, if you've never seen Broken Arrow, watch next instead. So 90% of the movies we've actually mentioned tonight, you should put those boxes down <laughs> and pick them next instead. That's a pretty fucking good selling point, dude. 90%? Uh, I think that it says more about the state of most film. <laughs> well, I think Frank uh, needs to pee. Thank you. Um, I heard something about that somewhere. So I think we should wrap it up. I don't know what we're going to watch next time. I can't see two episodes <laughs> into the future. I see two minutes into the future and it's me peeing on your couch. Uh, we may watch Good Luck Chuck. There was some discussion of that. <laughs> yeah, we might. So until then, uh, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. I'm special guest Frank Lesser. Good night. Stuart does the song. Yeah, it's over. Best CGI. Wait, is this on? Because I have this line that I'm like, the best CGI in I Am Legend is the clip of Shrek that is shown. Also, at one point he just watches Shrek, and that's like a good minute of the movie. It's, uh, it's, it's very disappointing.